said you're critics. Again, you're being an activist. I am not. That's not appropriate, sir. That's not an appropriate question for you to ask. I do. You're going to ask how many questions? You get three. Good morning, Liberty lovers, Liberty curious, and anyone else tuning in to Friendly Fire. If you're watching live, then let me especially thank you for tuning in so early. The show is dedicated to interviewing libertarian candidates running for office and only libertarian candidates. As the name suggests, candidates will be asked some tough questions, but as a fellow libertarian, I'm not here to make them look foolish or fail. I'm simply raising the bar for interviewing candidates, as well as the expectation that we have for candidates. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States and the only viable option to compete with the big two. In this episode, I bring on Stephen Nikaila, chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida, who previously ran for Key West City Commissioner District 4. With that, let's go ahead and bring Stephen in. Steven. How are you doing, Yale? Good. How are you? Good. I, uh, I, I feel like I should have brought a suit and tie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to raise the bar on my end. And, you know, the race has passed. So you're 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 in good luck plus you're the keys man like isn't it supposed to be chill down there like flip-flops you know, and shorts it is i'm actually in flip-flops and shorts right now and See? uh just, <laughs> just get ready for my for my day here taught me a little bit early it's usually the time i wake up with the baby it, you know it starts to change uh what time you actually wake up instead of what right. time you want to wake up <laughs> right but you know, uh, it'll change a lot more <laughs> oh i could imagine <laughs> But uh, but Key West is a very interesting place to do politics because, mm-hmm. or not like everybody else, you really can't rely on certain metrics or things or ideology or partisanship because it's a very strange place. I had a buddy of mine joking, kind of half joking, but kind of not. He goes, you know, there's one thing that's uh, that's going to hurt you in this race. I go, what's that? He goes, you don't have any felonies. I go, I can fix that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so did you? I, I don't. I, uh, not yet. Actually, well, okay. nothing that I'm convicted for. I like to commit a – the average American commits three felonies per day. I like to commit a few more just in case somebody's not pulling their own weight. I got you. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, Key West definitely is a, an interesting place to get into politics because of the unique nature of the people that live down here. And it's very factional. Um, you know, you've got the conks. You've got the Yankees. You've got – Sort of the folks in between. Uh, there, there really is a fight and a fight for the the heart and soul of Key West right now, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got a lot of folks who are moving in that are very wealthy, that have the money, that aren't necessarily investing down here. They're buying property down here. They might live here six months out of the year. They live in New York, they live in New Jersey, live wherever else. So they're going to vote in a very specific way compared to the folks that live here year round. Right. Um, right. You know, the folks that are fourth generation, fifth generation here. Now, I'm, I guess, a uh, first generation. Uh, my family moved down, I guess, second generation. I uh, moved down from, from Jersey, of course, of all places. Back in the day, uh, I lived in the Upper Keys, moved down here about eight years ago. My daughter uh, is a true conch. She was born down here in Lower Keys Medical. So if you're born down here, they consider you a saltwater conch. If you move down here, you're considered a freshwater conch. Um, Key West is a very interesting place and, and, and traditionally has always been somewhat uh, – suspicious of outsiders, so to speak. Um, it's just the nature of the community. It's a very tight-knit community. Mm-hmm. Florida Keys in general has always been very tight-knit. The folks that have 
you're up down here. And I, I personally believe if you move down here, if you get involved down here, man, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't belong here. Um, but but there's definitely divide in the community. You know, Key West is a place that, or I should say Monroe County is a place that shut down during the COVID lockdowns of 2020. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I think Key West would still be uh, limited in, in many regards if it wasn't for uh, some of the reopening. But uh, but we did literally shut shut down and for about two months uh, in 2020, and uh, you weren't allowed in in the Keys unless you knew somebody here or you were here uh, making some kind of delivery or on business. Uh, actually, you couldn't even just you had to either work down here or or live down here if you were a family member or whatever. It didn't matter. So th- th- this political tide has changed quite a bit. Um, it's very interesting. We also have a lot of environmental concerns with that, the reefs and the environment, also sea level rise. But our biggest issues down here are the housing crisis. You just can't afford to live down here anymore. And the prices have gone up even higher in the last two years. Uh, the, price of, the price of electricity has doubled faster than, than the national average um, because of our location. And, and uh, everything else down here is more expensive because it has to get trucked down. So my campaign was really a cost of living uh campaign and, and really a blue collar campaign and uh you know it was a very interesting uh experience for me and i'd love to talk more about it awesome well let's dive right in then um so i was checking some things out and a a while back a keys news article um had had this to say and it said nikaila um owner of both the sears town and duval street wendy's location said he jumped into the race because he didn't feel that the hospitality industry was getting the representation that it deserved um, and then it quotes you saying the commission is mainly occupied by retirees and attorneys and that um, you wanted to see business owners and hospitality workers having a voice in city government. So my question right off the bat is let's talk specifics. How would a voice for business owners and hospitality workers benefit them or more accurately, what specific needs do people in those communities have in Key West? That's a good question. Um, right off the bat, I would say that the uh, the the industry, our biggest industry down here, is hospitality. Hospitality, mm-hmm. tourism, is the number one industry of the Keys. Number two is probably fishing, commercial fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Key West, ninety nine percent of the time, people come down here for uh, you know for hospitality and tourism. Um, so that's the majority of the workforce down here. That's what we do. And City Hall, they are like I mentioned. Uh, or like it was mentioned in the article, they're retirees. Uh, every single one of them is a retiree or a, uh, a, a, uh, a the mayor owns a construction company, the rest are attorneys. But these aren't people that actually work day to day. They're not working shifts. They're not working seasonally. You know, if we shut down, their business is here tomorrow. So they don't really have their finger on the pulse of what it means to actually live and work in Key West. Um, they're very affluent. Um the, the folks up there, the majority of them, um, and uh, and there's there's a disconnect between them and the working class. So in my interactions with City Hall and my interactions talking to them, you know, it was just very evident to me that these people, you know, and good people, many of them I really like, uh, but these folks are just, there's, there's too much of a majority of people, actually a complete, not even just a majority, but a uh, 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 unanimous uh, amount of people that just aren't representing the majority of Key West. Uh, The Mm -hmm. majority of Key West is under 40, uh, working class, uh, typically bartenders, servers, managers, you know, you name it, uh, you know, works in the water, what have you. 
and uh, we just didn't have any representation up there whatsoever. Uh, Key West is very interesting because we go by what's called a Bubba system down here. Basically, Bubba system means, well, I went to school with the sheriff and his brother is the attorney and the state attorney was, you know, dated his sister in high school and yada, yada, yada. Everybody knows everybody. It's a very tight knit town. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting place to break into. Uh, as a matter of fact, we libertarian port of the Florida Keys bought against uh, the taxi companies when they were going against Uber and Lyft and trying to keep them illegal, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the city did a, I guess it's a smart thing. They just said, look, there's legislation coming down the pipe in the state. We're just going to let that clear and go with whatever that says. Although I wish <laughs> that would have been a little bit more forward because they're obviously doing it for votes. Uh, this was back in about 2015 or so. The room was packed that 100 people that were all taxi drivers and their uh, family members. Um, and uh, Key West is a very corrupt taxi medallion system, or used to, uh, mm-hmm. where only certain people could, it was like a liquor license, have mm-hmm. their taxis and anybody else from the outside, you weren't allowed to drive here, et cetera. So they're very upset about Uber and Lyft. That's just one example. We, we live in a very protectionist type of place. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, we do live in a bubble. We live on a metaphorical and a literal island. So politics down, down here tends to operate that way. Um, and in some respects, I think that's, that could be a good thing because we are insulated from some of the stuff that happens outside the country. And it makes for a very special place to live. Um, but it also is very interesting when it comes to how things are, are run and done down here because we are so insulated. The politicians think they can get away with a lot more than perhaps they would think they can get away with in other places. So... Um, Circling back to it, yeah, I, I, I think what, is, what does it look like to represent the folks down here? I think it's putting the working class first. It's looking at all the people, not just some of the people on top or some of the people in certain groups, whether they're a conk or, you know, they're out of towners or whatever. Um, just saying, look, this is what we got. This is what the market has brought us to. This is what we're going to support. And quite frankly, we don't need city government to set in the direction of the city. We just need them to uh, keep the lights on and run the utilities. And I think mm-hmm. that gets lost on people when they run for city government. Uh, you know, we don't need a grand executive vision for the city. We just need to keep the maintenance done and keep the spirit of the city the same. And, you know, I think the spirit of the city is decided by the people, not by the government. Gotcha. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that the taxis had shown up in force and, you know, a lot of those people live and work there, have family members that live and work there. Uh, but isn't the same, you know, doesn't that same uh, doesn't that hold true for potential Uber and Lyft drivers as well? I mean, aren't those aren't most of those, at least now, people that live in um, live and work in the Keys as well? Or you do or do you see a lot of people from outside of the Keys? I would say most of the folks that are down here, 90 percent of them are from Key West and the Keys. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was funny because during the taxi driver's uh, spiel, after I gave my speech, I basically said, look, we're going to ban the automobile and go back to the horse and buggy because we don't like innovation. That seems like an odd right. reason to, uh, to, to, to not want taxi drivers because my generation, when we go drinking, we want to pull out our phone and hell a Uber or hail a Lyft and just press the button. Boom, there you go. Right. Uh, right. And so, yeah, you know, a majority of the folks are from down here uh, and, uh, and and they make good money driving Uber and Lyft because I remember calling taxi companies back in the day and we'd be waiting 20, 30 minutes for a taxi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we had no idea when they were going to show up. They were very rude. The taxis were dirty. 
they usually just offer you a lot of drugs, which, <laughs> you know, it, it's just not very professional. Um, and uh, and that was what the majority of taxes were down here. Um, once Uber and Lyft started coming in, they were forced to compete. And for the first time, they actually forced to, to improve. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the point that I made. I said, look, you know, I'm a Wendy's franchising and my family's in the Wendy's business. I say, you know, if, if, if McDonald's or Burger King decides to come down, I don't say, hey, City Hall, you know, we need to make sure only Wendy's can operate in Key West. It's not everything needs to be fair. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Nothing should be protected. Um, right. It's not open to market forces. If you're if you're good, you adapt. If you're good, you survive. Worst comes to worst, you lose a piece of the pie. Um, but uh, but essentially, uh, you know, the worry was, oh, well, uh, these taxi drivers or these Uber and Lyft drivers are going to come down from Miami. They're going to hit the mailman. They're going to hit your daughter. Um, when my husband had a heart attack, a taxi took him to the hospital. Um, just ridiculous excuses to try to, to try to protect right. the taxi industry. And I guarantee you, during that two hours of city hall time, you couldn't find a taxi that during those two hours because they were all at city hall. Uh, literally, <laughs> it was parked outside taxis. I mean, it was really quite the show. It really opened my eyes up to just how how impressionable a city council is. And right. um, and and I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over again. You know. I'm, if, if, if you just get like four or five buddies and go to city hall and just hammer them for three minutes each, especially mm-hmm. if you're the only people that are actually care about the item on the agenda, um, more than likely you're going to, you're going to scare city council into, into approving your, your, your policy on that agenda item, because city councils tend to be very impressionable when voters show up in person, they're not going to go and do a straw poll of all the citizens. They probably know better, but they know that, there's a difference between who shows up and who's just a political block willing to vote for or against you. And especially in a small town where everybody has friends, mm-hmm. they know people are questionable. So it was a very interesting experience. Got it. So speaking of being a business owner and a franchisee of Wendy's, you are a business owner and you're also the chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida. So just a reminder that is not to you, but to just listeners in general, that's the third largest party in the country. So what I'm curious is how did you intend to balance all of those responsibilities? Had you, uh, well, this was th- this last election, let's be clear, was just the primary, but had you won the primary and then the following um, November election, how, or would you have needed to scale back on something? You know, the, it's a great question. Um, one that I, uh, in, in the past, uh, people have always asked me, you know, Stephen, you're a business owner. You uh, you you're doing a lot. You you are uh, looking to run for for whatever position it was from secret uh, for treasurer to uh, chair to LNC. People have always thrown at me, oh, you you don't have enough time. You know, he doesn't have enough time. Yada yada yada. Um, I personally believe in making time. I personally believe in wake up an hour earlier. You can budget your time better. You can not spend so much time on social media. There's always time. We always find excuses. Um, I've been working out for a decade. Uh, everyone always has the excuse. Oh man, you know, you look great. Or I would like to go to the gym more. And I just don't have the time. And I always tell them, look, you know, you can make the time, like time is all around you. It's just a matter of budgeting it mm-hmm. and turning it into something useful. Uh, there's 24 hours in the day. You know, we need maybe six, eight hours to sleep. In between that, there's no excuse not to get everything you can need to get done done. Uh, people just, in my opinion, typically they don't know how to budget time and they they like to have free time, which is really just an excuse to have time for Netflix or binge eating or you know sleeping in when it could be used mm-hmm. for something useful. 
Um, now that I've got my seven-month-old baby girl, which is the biggest blessing of my life, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot tougher now because certainly the lack of sleep and everything else plays a toll. But uh, even between that, you know, I was still able to run a campaign. Um, it took a lot of my time, but it didn't take all of my time because mm -hmm. I was able to make time. And, you know, my, my wife, she's extremely supportive. She's, you know, very um, willing to take the slack. And God bless her because because my baby was only maybe four months old when, when the campaign started back in June. Ooh, so, uh, so it's uh, she was a real trooper. And <laughs> I mm -hmm. think it's a, definitely a mixed, uh, mixed blessing when it comes to uh, not moving on to the general um, because it definitely gives me, you know, just more focus, I would say mm -hmm. on my family. Um, you know, it just allows me to, to kind of squeeze more bandwidth into whatever else I have going on. But, but I think there was always a, uh, I, I think I always was able to somehow make time for everything. Got it. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I today marks the first day that I started getting up an hour earlier. And um, for the folks that are listening and watching, uh, what that means is five a.m., not six a.m. And the reason is because uh, you know I was kind of thinking about it the other day. And between the hours of about eight and ten are some of the most hectic for me. Because that's when my son gets up. That's when my wife is getting ready. Everybody's having breakfast. You know, we're figuring out, you know, who's going to go where. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes he needs to go somewhere. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes my wife's going somewhere specific. So I was like, you guys are interrupting my time, my, my morning time, which I get up and, and I use it to do things like meditate or maybe do a little bit of exercise or, you know, kind of just prepare myself for the day. Sometimes I like to just come down and sit and look outside at, you know at the lake and just kind of sit there and just kind of use that to kind of mentally prepare for all the you know all, all the pulls on my attention throughout the day so i agree with you uh you just got to do it you just got to say you know what this is going to happen and and it's it's unfortunate because i tend to be more of a night owl uh, I, well, maybe not so much these days. I guess I'm kind of making that shift from being a night owl to now I'm getting up, you know, to, I guess two hours early, <laughs> I guess at this point. <laughs> Are you going to continue waking up at 5 a.m. Um, when a fallback occurs, when the times change? So the it, the winter, if you will, um, will be tough because I I tend not, especially when it gets cold, and uh, up here, cold could mean like 50 degrees. Like that's like, I'm, I'm practicing. That's cold for us down here. <laughs> like I'm shivering. I'm like looking for a goose down jacket, you know, like it's it's awful. Um, and I tend to not want to get out of bed in the morning because the bed is nice and warm and comfy. And, you know, getting out, it just feels cold. Just the air just feels cold, even if you're running the heater. So it'll be a test. It will. But if I start now maybe I will be in a good habit by then. So we'll see. We'll see how long I can continue this. You know, uh, Marcus Aurealis, I think it's how I pronounce his name. He was a king like 2,000 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think he was a king of Rome or something like that. It was, it, and he wrote a book called Meditations. And it was mm -hmm. just his personal book, personal writings to himself about, you know, what makes a good king. And just, it was just kind of a disparate, a uh, book about information of, of wisdom and of his meditations. And one of the things he says is that it's so hard to wake up in the morning because your sheets are so heavy and warm. And, and he was a king. And, uh, and this was 2000 years ago. And we have the same problems even today. So, right. 
there's there's no man so strong or, or so uh, so average, I suppose, that that doesn't have the same issues. It's a universal issue. Uh, I think it's just a test of testament to to the will to mm-hmm. to wake up early in the morning and uh, uh, sharpen your sword, so to speak, by repeating the same habit over and over again. So I I really commend you on that. Um, before the baby, I was always waking up a little bit more consistently. I still try to wake up somewhat consistently now, at least seven thirty. Uh, I was waking up at six thirty. It's just the lack of sleep throughout the night. Sometimes right. I, yeah. I try to get as much as I can. Um, but uh, but I always hated when I would get my sleeping schedule just perfect, and I'd be waking up at five thirty or six thirty to go to the gym, and then daylight savings time would kick in, and I'd be either you know waking up an hour earlier or waking up an hour later and i'm like man this screws up everything i just had it right. perfect <laughs> yeah uh, and it would take me a couple weeks to adjust and uh i just think daylight savings time is the most terrible thing in the world and the most useless thing in the world because the sun is always shining in the keys in florida so i never really understood the point right uh, and i think it actually passed florida state house and legislature that the uh, they wanted to get rid of it, but it just has to go through Congress now because it's a federal issue. And I right. just think hey, it's just one more thing I just really hate. hate right. You know, I mean, out of all the things the government does, I, I think that's the one I take the most personally is just right. you know changing the time we have to wake up in the morning. It's like out of all the things, man, they have to control the time. Right. <laughs> that's, no. that's my plea. <laughs> no, I hear you, and uh, I don't want to. You know, I don't. I don't want to. Uh, get you all nervous here but i know my son liked to pretend mm-hmm. like he was daylight saving times uh daylight savings time because he would get into a routine and then i would kind of get into that routine and no sooner did i get into the routine he would switch his his sleep schedule <laughs> and then i would have to and then you know everything was all messed up for me because you know he was getting up an hour earlier or something like that mm-hmm. and and in my I, I tend not to sleep that much anyway somewhere between like six and seven hours at most um, sometimes five just depends on, you know, how things are going and my, my, my exercising regularly and, and whatnot. And, um, uh, it, it was, he was making it challenging even for me. Cause I'm like, look, man, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm already only getting six hours of sleep. And then you, then you wake up twice in the night and then you wake up an hour early. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm gonna remember <laughs> this when you get older, when you're 15, oh, right? yeah, just... remember all those times that you, uh, woke daddy up, go out and do the yard. So, exactly. Uh, <laughs> once she, I tell my mom, like, once she's 18, she's going to have to <laughs> buy a new carpet and, uh, <laughs> you know, this and that because, yeah, babies right. put you through the ringer. But, so, but, um, so, so basically what you would end up doing is just making it happen. You're like, look, I can do this. I can do this. And I can find time to make this happen. And you did. You, you found time for what you wanted to accomplish. I think that's the only way. Um, you know, as someone who's a chairman of the Libertarian Party of Florida, a business owner, I oversee 10 businesses, 10 different locations, mm-hmm. including a full service restaurant uh, and another franchise. Uh, someone who's on the Libertarian National Committee, mm-hmm. someone who likes to work out, someone who likes to have a social life, someone who has a family. Um, you know, to balance all these things, it's, uh, it, it is tough, but I also think I have a personality quirk where I don't like, uh, I don't like being bored. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works out in my favor. I also do stuff for emergency services down here in the Florida Keys. I do volunteer work for emergency services. Um, and, uh, you know, I've just got a lot of hobbies. I've got other things that I like to do. So, um, I do, you know, shooting, I like to go to shooting classes. I like to, you know, just study a lot. And so, 
So I, you know, I just I don't like being idle. Uh, for my father, I just don't, <laughs> I don't like being bored. So right. whenever I can fill my schedule up with as much as possible, uh, actually, I actually like it. Um, and uh, I think that's that's one of those things that just kind of allows me to do what I everything I do because I'm just constantly occupied. Uh, and you know, as they say, you know, you turn mountains into molehills. So eventually, you know, once you reach this obstacle, you feel like, okay, what's the next bigger thing I can do? And uh, for me, it's always been sort of a natural progression in politics. So when I decided to run for office, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. Uh, same thing as running for chair or LNC. It's like, well, I never decided one day I'm going to be in the chair. One day I'm going to be doing this. It just, just so happens to happen. And I, I think the best way to allow things to happen, because it, it, you, it, you don't feel like you're jumping into something you're not prepared for. It just It's a natural extension of... of uh, of yourself, I guess it just just happens. All right, all right. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take a quick break, uh, just a couple minutes. I want to promo another candidate real quick, and then we'll be right back to finish up this conversation with you. I, I know you're on a, a time frame, so we will try to be mindful of that. So give me just a moment. And so what I want to talk, talk to you guys about. Normally, I might only promo candidates who have either been on the show or committed to coming on the show. However, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. You may know Chase Oliver, U.S. Senate candidate out of Georgia. He has not yet agreed to come on the show, but that's okay. No candidate is obligated. No harm, no foul there. Chase is legally qualified. He is a legally qualified candidate, which means he will be on the ballot in Georgia come November. But unfortunately, his two opponents, Warnock and Walker, were invited to an upcoming debate on October 14th, and he was not. I took a look at the list of requirements to be on stage. And let me tell you, it was obscene. Almost as if it were designed specifically to exclude third-party candidates. So I want to play this clip from Chase. Now, I will be honest. He does not know that I am playing this clip, but that's okay. This show is about raising up and talking uh, about the libertarian candidates and letting people know who's out there and what is going on. So let's hear what Chase had to say about that. Hey everyone, this is Chase Oliver, the 2022 U.S. Senate candidate, and I'm making this video because the news has just come out that Senator Warnock has accepted the WSAV debate in Savannah for October the 14th to debate Herschel Walker. Now, I have not been invited to this debate, and I would like to be included uh, for one reason, really. I'm on the ballot. If you're on the ballot, you should be on the debate stage. Voters should have an opportunity to see all of the candidates who have uh, who are on the ballot debate one another, to have discourse, and to really get a glimpse of who it is that's running for these offices. Um, you know, if you believe in inclusivity, if you want to preserve democracy, you should really have all of the candidates who are involved in the process involved in the debate. If you agree with me, please contact WSAV. Uh, the details will be in the comments below to get in touch with them and let them know that you want to have an inclusive U.S. Senate debate. Thank you. All right. So, he is on the ballot, and he has not been invited to the debate. So I will put a link in the comments where you can go and you can find the post uh, on his website and even some links to WSA, uh, WSAV, that's the, state, that's the channel that is hosting the debate. And I want you to go out, and I want you to raise some noise because this is a fellow Libertarian candidate, and whatever happens to one Libertarian candidate can possibly happen to another. 
And we want to make sure that we support our candidates who are working hard to bring liberty about whatever state they're from. Let's bring back Stephen. All right, Stephen, there you are back again. So let's continue on here. Um, I checked the primary results and you received almost 18% of the vote. So do you believe that number, uh, that percentage was a win for you? Well, I, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a win, Okay. but I definitely think it was, uh, it was progress. I learned a lot. Um, I mean, I was going for the gold, you know, I was going for, for a victory to be quite honest. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was an interesting race because I'll just go down the list there. Um, Ryan Barwick, you know, he's a local, uh, liquor salesman. Me and him actually became good friends. Actually, mm -hmm. I actually think I convinced him he's a libertarian because man, he talks like one. And, uh, I think I, 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 I did convert him. Um, Lizette Cuervo Carey, she's a local, she's a conk, uh, multiple generations. She grew up here. She knows a lot of folks. Um, Kim Highsmith, she is, uh, more of a partisan Democrat and, uh, and of course, you know, I'm a libertarian in the race and, and sort of the newcomer, uh, you know, and so, you know, it was very interesting. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to say it was a com de complete defeat um, mm -hmm. because I really hustled to get that 18 uh, percent coming out of nowhere uh, since both the other candidates. I know Kim Highsmith, her husband, Bobby Highsmith, was on a school board. Um, she got a lot of Democratic Party support. So she had, you know, a lot going for her in this race. Uh, Carrie, who I've actually endorsed, um, very nice lady. All, all, all the candidates are very nice. I respect everybody in this race. I think mm -hmm. we're a lot closer as candidates just because we are in the same uh, situation, even though we're running against each other. I think we have a lot of mutual respect for one another. Um, Carrie, you know, uh, Conk, like I mentioned, um, and, uh, you know, she, she knows a lot of folks and, and she's been in the community for a very long time. Uh, you know, and so, so I think, uh, you know, the results were interesting. I was expecting a little bit more, obviously. I was hoping to make it to the runoff, um, but I knew it was going to be it was going to be close. And I wasn't mm -hmm. really sure how it was going to play out. And in most races, you, you probably can kind of tell how things are going to go. Um, we did some polling and my name recognition was about tied with uh, uh, with Kim Highsmith, Key West wide. Uh, Lizette's was really far up there. Um, Ryan's was back, um, underneath all of us. So, you know, it, it was kind of interesting to kind of guess, okay, you know, where are things going to land? Um, but you know, the best poll is election day. And, um, right. you know, quite frankly, I went from zero to 18%, I think, uh, just by being out there, uh, raising funds, getting, knocking on doors. There's about 1500 households in district four. I knocked on about easily a thousand to 1200 of them. Um, I did a lot of door knocking. I did a lot of mail, a lot of radio, you know, social media, a lot of money on Facebook. Recognition was definitely that. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I most my time on because U.S. name recognition, not just in your district, every pretty much half the campaigns divide. Uh, uh, to be completely honest, because mm -hmm. people talk and everything else, so. You know, one thing I would do differently in the future is honestly, instead of just campaigning in the district, I would campaign citywide. I would try to hit the entire city every way I can. And I did that somewhat with radio and, and, and Facebook and uh, newspaper and stuff like that. But, you know, I even sending out mailers or something, getting teams to door knock. You almost have to start a year ahead of time, I think. And this is, is what I would have done differently. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I'd learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot, but I do mm-hmm. think that, you know, in ways, the real victory, in my opinion, isn't just from the polling numbers. Um, but the real victory for me, a personal victory is getting my policies pushed forward because I haven't speaking to my opponents and, uh, you know, we had some conversations after the race and, you know, both Kim and, uh, and, and Lizette, um, and, uh, quite, you know, and they're, they're interested in takes my policy positions. And one of the things I noticed as soon as I started campaigning, because I was the first person to come out against the incumbent, uh, um, uh, Greg Davila, who I actually knew personally and supported him originally, but I, I, things changed. I had to run against him. It was nothing personal. Um, it was clearly, it was just politics. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I started to talk about, you know, affordable housing, what we can do for affordable housing. I think in Jacksonville County, right up there in, uh, in your neck of the woods, DL, um, they actually legalized accessory dwelling units, which are basically tiny homes to put in your backyard right. or on your property. Jacksonville County said they can build another, or Deval County said they can build another 200,000 homes uh, mm-hmm. through ADUs is something I was pushing, supporting for Key West. Um, I was also supporting, you know, building on top of commercial real estate in the major shopping centers and around town, um, and as well as increasing density and, and height, you know, in order to, to eke, eke out some extra, extra housing. And my opponents were taking some of these policies on during the race. And I think, you know, as libertarians, you know, sometimes we're not the most electorally successful. Although that's changing, and 50% of the municipal races were actually winning, so mm-hmm. and this is kind of recent. In the last few years, we've gone from from like 30, 40% to 50% plus. So the tides are really changing. We're getting very good at this. Um, but one thing we've always been successful at is pushing policy, uh, and that's something I've been very active in locally. Is pushing policy. I've been getting to know a lot of the movers and shakers, and just by campaigning. I mean, to be completely honest with you, DL, like I don't, I don't think my opponents really had much of a platform. Um, they're just kind of running because they're locals or they're people that want to run or, you know, they have backing, but a lot of the times they don't really have a solid platform. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a policy wonk. So I was really in on policy and uh, they're, you know, my opponents come to me like, Hey, you know, you're really smart. You got this to say and that to say, like, is there anything we could do? You know, I could do differently or da, 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 da. So I can tell you personally that throughout this campaign, my opponents did adopt a lot of my uh, either, either, carte blanche like either outright or uh or indirectly my my policies and the city government actually just passed a uh, a budget item they're going to spend fifty thousand dollars to get an impact study or a recommendation study or whatever you want to call it to look into actually adopting accessory dwelling units um these are conversations i've had with the city uh, city attorney and city uh, manager and others so so these are ideas that are becoming more popular and to me that's a win because, you know, electorally, for me personally, and I think every campaign has to be judged differently because, you know, not everybody runs to win. Um, right. And that's fine. And I think that's cool. But uh, the stuff getting put forward, um, I call that a win. And, of course, I'll still be involved and, and still be pushing these policies as much as I can. Gotcha. You know, I'm reminded of the 2020 uh, presidential um candidates for the libertarian party and one of them was john mons and i think that was a question that he was asked was um he had run in a prior race i don't remember which one it was exactly but he had run and somebody asked him they said okay well you didn't win so you know why would we want to elect you 
uh, vote for you to be our presidential nominee? And his answer was kind of similar to what you said. He, he said, I think in some ways I did have a win because some of the policies that I was advocating for, and I think in his case, some of the policies actually ended up becoming uh, part of le legislation, if I recall correctly. So it wasn't even that they, it, it was, you know, the next step after adopting some of his ideas is that they were able to work on and get certain um, legislation accomplished. I don't again, I don't remember what it was. So I, I think that's a really good point to make is sometimes you, we, we got to move the needle a little bit and, um, you know, it, you move the needle enough. And then eventually, I think, you know, 18 percent becomes 25 percent, becomes 30 percent, so on and so forth. And then here you are, you know, running, um, you know, neck and neck on, you know, on, in November. Right. I think that's kind of how it works. So um, let me ask you, uh, speaking of Carrie, uh, after the election, you did put your support behind her for November 8th. Now, I believe this is a nonpartisan race, so that makes it more acceptable because I believe legally, at least here in Florida, officers of any party cannot endorse uh, another party member. Um, so let me ask you, though, uh, why when you opted to support an opposing candidate, um, is it, what lesson is there for other candidates in doing this? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think during a race, you can sort of feel out your opponents. And believe me, during the campaign, you know, it, it's 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 basically war, right? You're basically, you, you're, you're trying to figure out in the fog of war what your opponents are doing. You're trying to get ahead. You're trying to, you know, make the right chess moves. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all people. We're all trying to do the right thing, and um, I, I think most people run for the right reasons. And, and I became friends with, with many of my opponents, you know. And so uh, I, I think the lesson here is: okay, once you've done all you can, you still want to be a gentleman, or you still want to be, you know, a gentlewoman, um, and uh, <clears throat> be a good sport. And and if at the end of the day, your idea of of, you know, participation is, look, I want to engage civically. I'm not done. And quite frankly, you know, one of these people is going to be your representative. So I'm going to be going to them for my policies, for my issues, for, you know, all these different things. And, uh, and I think, uh, uh, Lizette Carey, she, she was probably more closely aligned to me at a, uh, out of the other candidates that, uh, besides Ryan, Ryan was probably the most closely aligned with me. Um, I think we just put the vote a little bit on that because he has hospitality with a very similar platform. Um, but Lizette came in, came in second mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and she's also someone who's politically experienced down here and yada, 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 good support. And I think that our voting base, I think the three of us kind of did split the vote a little bit. So I felt like, you know, working class people, the people that I'm trying to, you know, help who closely most closely aligns with that ideology and who do I think would be most closely aligned that if I'm going to assist, if I'm going to endorse, I'm going to say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to endorse you and uh, and good luck. You know, I mean, that's all I can do is just say, hey, you know, take my policies. Um, I think I think she was probably the close, most closely aligned. And that's why I made the decision to endorse her, because you do build up political capital when you run for office. And I think using it wisely does have a, an effect. And especially if that person, you know, um, you know, they can say, hey, thanks. You know, you, you did help me. 
Um, and, you know, my, my intention is to obviously continue being involved in, in civil government and, uh, and building that reputation and rapport with my city, my city council. I know the city attorney. I know the city manager. I know other folks. Um, so even if she doesn't win, you know, I'm still going to say the same thing. If, if Kim High School, I mean, you know, my, uh, my mouth to her ear, for instance. So mm-hmm. the lesson here is, you know, I, I would say continue your engagement. And, uh, you know, obviously as a, as a state officer, as a chairman, I have to be very careful who I endorse and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. If this was a partisan race, I, I wouldn't be saying anything. Um, but it is a nonpartisan race, so it does give me leeway. Um, and uh, especially in a local race like this in Key West, you know, it, it, it is interesting because even though it is a nonpartisan election, there are some people that, you know, they're only going to vote for Democrats. So they're only going to vote for Republicans. And I've had many mm-hmm. people when I knock on the door and they say, oh, you're Republican or Democrat. And I say, I'm neither. Right. Right. I say, this is my beliefs. And if you like my beliefs, you like my policies, then then vote for me. If not, then maybe there's another candidate for you. Um, and I give them the honest spiel. And a lot of times they'll say, I like you. You know, you've got my support. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm only going to vote for the Republican. Or I'm going to vote for the Democrat. And if they don't win, maybe I'll vote for you or, or maybe I won't. Um, so for a lot of people, it is partisan, um, even if it's nonpartisan. And I think it's very unfortunate. And I think uh, at least one of the opponents in this race, um, the one, I, one of the ones I did not endorse, made this a very partisan election for her campaign. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's not the right thing to do. Um, people knew I was a libertarian. And, uh, and, you know, but I never went around saying I was necessarily libertarian. Uh, I espoused libertarian ideal. And, uh, you know, I think uh, when people find out I'm a libertarian, uh, you know, they they really like the ideology and they join. And so, um, you know, it, it's interesting because you want to push the party ideology. And I think you want to push the party, um, but you also have to be careful because you're selling yourself in these nonpartisan races. So I think I, I kind of did the best of both worlds. I had a lot of people mm-hmm. come out to me and say, hey, um, I'm a libertarian now because of you. And, Good. Uh, so, so, you know, you have to be careful, but you'll, so I think, I think in many ways, if you just go up partisan lines, uh, but, uh, but I made a lot of allies along the way. I think I still was able to kind of walk that fine line. So anyway, I don't want to talk too much in circles, but, but, but you can no, that's right. kind of accomplish both. Uh, Good. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know you're uh, short on time here just, uh, so I want to ask one more question sure. as the chair of the party and as yeah. somebody who has now run their own political campaign. Um, I, I my, this is my next question is, is about you as the chair now. And there has always been a lot of criticism toward the party from candidates uh, that can be at the state level and also at the mm-hmm. national level as well. So what did you learn that you're going to take back to the, uh, you know, as chair to the party and say, you know what, having done it myself, this is what I've learned and how I think I can now uh, make things, you know, improve things for our candidates who are running within the state of Florida. So, you know, I'll tell you something, DL. One of the biggest things I took away from this race, you know, a lot of times as libertarians, we like to uh, we like to downplay the libertarian party. We like to say, oh, man, you know, the LP doesn't give us any support, yada, 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 or what have you. Um, I still think there's opportunities there, but I'll tell you what, that I wouldn't be able to get even 18%. I don't know if I would have been able to get even 10% if it wasn't for the Libertarian Party. And I'm talking about the campaign trainings I've gone through, 
that have been put on uh, from national. I'm talking about, you know, my network and contacts within the state party, within the national party that I built over the years. I'm talking about local libertarians with uh, within Monroe County and Key West. Um, all these things came together because using that network mm-hmm. um, has been was so helpful to me that I can honestly say, and this is something I think your viewers will find interesting. Um, one of my opponents uh, used a, a local firm and the folks in that firm, uh, it was a media company, but they used to work for a DC based uh, political firm that helped democratic candidates. Uh, they ran a very sophisticated campaign. They knew how to run things. Uh, she spent a lot of her time and money with this organization in order to get ahead. Uh, I only had my network of, of friends within the Libertarian Party who were able to help me uh, run a very sophisticated campaign using uh, very high-level tools that I I think really, really helped tremendously. And I'm talking about, you know, running text messages. I'm talking about running, getting data, getting maps, getting, you know, all these tools and things that you usually don't see on these local elections because most people don't know how to use it or don't have the political acumen to even know these tools exist. And so uh, so I, I think that all that helps so much. And I was able to ask for advice and I was able to talk to folks and I was able to, to you know, be, get a sounding board off people. So I, I think what we really need to do as a, as a Libertarian Party of Florida and as chairman, when I come back and I see, man, wow, these candidates put so much of their lifetime and energy and finances into running these races, God bless them because it's not easy. Um, the best thing we can do is educate, um, provide logistical support and, and training. And, and I actually don't think financial support is necessarily, now financial support would be great, don't get me wrong. Now we can't donate to nonpartisan elections. But what we can do is prepare our members to go out and run for races through education, through you know mentorship, through uh, support during the race, before the race, uh, in preparation, et cetera, uh, and in learning how to fundraise, because I was able to fundraise, I was the second highest, uh, 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 I was the second highest in contributions mm-hmm. in my in my campaign, in my in my race. So I did very well uh, fundraising wise. And I did that through, you know, I got a lot of support from libertarians. I got a lot of support locals, uh, building up my brand locally. You know, people, they threw money at me because because they knew what I was about. Um, and uh, I don't think the financial piece is as, I mean, it's as important as anything else, but I don't think that's the number one way we can actually support our candidates right now with, the, with what we have. I think given the party's resources, just doing more, in the off years and the early opening season to campaigning, um, helping them build campaign plans. You know, I had my campaign plan built and everything else uh, and giving that weekly support. I think those would be the biggest pieces of the puzzle that we can provide. Um, and, and to be honest, DL, I think a strong affiliate matters most. When you have people on the ground, you've got friends that are willing to knock on doors. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, that is so valuable. So many people are not willing to go help you. And I'll tell you what, and I, I don't not knock against them, but to go out in uh, 98 degree heat with 100% humidity and help knock on doors or or give money to or do whatever, having good libertarians and good friends and your local affiliate man, that is probably worth the most out of more than more than any check uh, is is just having your network. And uh, I really do believe when it comes to campaigning, your network is your net worth. So, uh, you know, one of the most valuable things we have are county affiliates building those up man i'm telling you uh it's it's worth its weight in gold so 
Yeah, don't don't you know we, we have something very valuable. I don't think I, I even appreciated as much until I ran for office. But uh, but the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, have utilizing your network is just just humongous. And uh, um, just circling back, you know, building strong affiliates, training, training, training. I think there's more we can do in terms of training. Um, I think those are the two biggest things we could really provide. Whatever resources uh, we have and tools we have at the national level or state level when it comes to data and stuff like that. I, I think those are going to be some things I'm going to be pushing forward uh, come come next season, uh, especially for the new EC as they come in in April to say, look, you know, these are definitely the things that we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I, I do plan on uh, after this term is up to remain on the board as a, there's actually a position for past chairs to stay on in an advisory role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely want to continue supporting the party in that capacity uh, when the time comes. So, Awesome. All right. Well, I think that wraps up all the questions that I have. Do you have any final words before I go ahead and close the show out? Um, thanks for having me on. And mm-hmm. uh, I love the production value of the show. And uh, I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And please give the, uh, the Jacksonville boys my, uh, my, uh, my best wishes. Those guys are running an amazing campaign. I think their, their elections in March. So for anybody mm-hmm. listening, uh, please, we've got libertarians on the ballot in March, which is going to be slow season for politics. So give them your time and attention. Check them out. They're doing really amazing things. And uh, I really love what your guys are doing up there. So hopefully I can make it uh, in October. Um, we'll see. I might be able to fly out. But uh, for those awesome. of you guys watching that aren't already members of the LPF, head over to LPF.org. Sign up as a member. It's free. Please, if you can. Your monthly donations go a very long way. We're trying to get 100 members to donate $25 or more per month. So if you're willing to donate 25 bucks, it goes to a good cause, and uh, we can uh, do more of what you want us to do, and that includes supporting candidates. So thanks for having me on, DL. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I thank you for coming on, and uh, have a good day. Looks like the sun's coming up over there. Amen. All right. Have a good one. All right, folks. That's the end of the show. Um, thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And next week, I want you to tune in because I'm bringing on Kyle Garrison, Libertarian candidate for Alabama State Senate District 6. See if I can pull this picture up of Kyle so that you know exactly who will be coming up. I don't know if I have it quite ready. Let's see what we can do here really quickly. All right, we're going to get this. I'm going to have to get on top of that uh, production manager here. He's just not doing his job here. I don't know what's going on with that guy, but whatever. All right. So there, there we go. We got a picture of Kyle and this is Kyle Garrison looking pretty tough. So uh, I think he'll be able to handle friendly fire come next week, but we'll see. But he will be on the show next week. And again, he is running for Alabama State Senate District 6. That's all for this week. I want you to find other episodes at LibertyDad.com and archived video episodes at YouTube.LibertyDad.com. You can also connect with me at LibertyDad on Facebook, LibertyDadPod on Twitter, or email to LibertyDadPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And remember, if you're a champion of liberty, your business is people, and your product is liberty. Have a great week. Catch you next time, and I'm out.